was on a silent retreat this week, and as I tried to memorize Ruth chapter 2, one of the monks at the monastery popped his head into my room and lovingly shushed me. <laughs> it was a silent retreat after all. So here now, Ruth chapter 2, read, not memorized. Blame the monk. <laughs> now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they said to him, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed through her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out from some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out what was left over from the food after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi said also, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, beside, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they've finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you should be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We are a church where ordinary people are found and formed by the gospel to reach the world for Christ. We are a church where ordinary people are found and formed by the gospel to reach the world for Christ. I was on retreat this week, as I said a moment ago, silent retreat, and I was asking the Lord for vision. The last time I went to Murfield Monastery in England on retreat, uh, I powerfully heard from the Lord. And in that time, I heard and Monica heard at the same time on the other side of the Atlantic that we were meant to be ready to adventure with God again. And say yes to this search team that had called us up to say, would you consider being a candidate for this church in Texas? That's what happened last time I was in uh, Murfield Monastery. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, this time, don't worry, I didn't hear about any location changes. But I heard a lot. And a good sign of that was the fact that I ran out of ink. I bought a new journal and brought a new pen because I'm really big into certain kinds of pens. And by the end of the week, the pen was empty. There was a lot poured out on the page. And as I was asking for vision, I was reminded of this call, this basic call, this central call of Christ on his church, that we are to reach the world for Christ. There are so many things we can do and so many things we should do, but if we have abandoned that specific call to reach the world for Christ, we have forgotten what it means to be the church. And so those words flowed day after day. We, Christ Church, we are a church where ordinary people, I know we're not all that ordinary, but go with me on this. We are a church where ordinary people are found and formed by the gospel to reach the world for Christ. And if you want to hear me talk more about that, come tonight to cast. It's amazing, though, Christians can all agree that evangelism, outreach, witnessing, sharing our faith is vitally important. We can all agree on that, but most of us can also agree that we're terrified and feel totally unequipped to do so. And that has to change in the church. And it's the church's job to train and form ordinary Christians to be able to do that well and confidently. The question I want to ask this morning of this Ruth text is, what is my role in reaching the world for Christ? What is my role? What is my role? What is your role? And it's a, it's a big answer, 
And this is only going to answer part of it. The amazing thing by walking through the book of Ruth is we're really getting a picture, not just of a morality tale. I mean, the last thing, the worst thing you could do with Ruth is read it as a moral fable. You know, be steadfast and generous like Boaz. Be faithful and confident like Ruth. I mean, there's truth in that. I mean, they are wonderful exemplary characters. But we'd miss the whole point. You see, the book of Ruth is really an allegory. It's a story of how a person meets their Redeemer, of how a person meets Christ. I mean, everything in Scripture points to Jesus, everything. Jesus says in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus when he's walking with those disciples on the day of his resurrection, what does he say to them? They don't know it's Jesus, and he's opening up the Scriptures, and verse 27 says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the Scriptures, all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, what Jesus does, oh, that we could be on that road to Emmaus and hear that little mini-sermon. I mean, where Jesus says, let me show you how everything in Scripture points to me. And so when we read the book of Ruth, we are finding an allegory, a story that points us to this picture of how does a person come to know their Redeemer and be transformed and have new life. And so as we look at it, we're going to see today a picture of what our role, part of what our role is in reaching the world for Christ. Look at the book of Ruth. There's three things we see so far. I mean, when you get to the end of chapter four, you'll have seen the entire picture of salvation. But in these first couple of chapters, we've already seen three things. We've seen hardship. We have seen happenstance in today's text. And we've seen hospitality. Hardship, happenstance, and hospitality. Hardship, happenstance, hospitality. We start with hardship. You look at the opening chapter like we did last week, and you see that it begins, Ruth's story begins in a place of absolute hardship. The first five verses of chapter one, I think, are the harshest, darkest first five verses of any book in the Bible. There is a famine in the land, and they're talking about Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, so it literally means there's no bread in the house of bread. And so they go to Moab which is known historically for not giving bread to Israelites. So there's no bread in the house of bread. So let's go to Moab that's known for not giving bread to those from Israel needing bread. And from there, Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die, and she's left a widow with her two daughters-in-law who are now widows as well. There's no sons. Hope is lost. They are beggars. There is nothing they can do. It's a dark, dark opening. It's summed up really by Naomi's words in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 1 when she says, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord has dealt very bitterly with me. I mean, it's a dark opening. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an opening of hardship. And the amazing thing, friends, is we look at this as a picture of the whole salvation story, so it is with our salvation story and every person's salvation story. It begins in a place of hardship. It starts in a dark place, a place where we are apart from God. 
And that's a dark place to be. It's a hard place to be. And oh, we're really good, especially in the West, of covering up that hardship. Oh, no, no, everything's fine. I'm doing just fine. I'm great. There's no hardship here. You know, I don't have any uh, relationship with the Lord, but I'm just fine. No, we're not. As a former atheist, I can tell you the deep, dark reality of what is in your mind and your heart late at night when you're all by yourself and you're in that place of Moab apart from the Lord. Bernard Levin, one of the most famous British journalists of the last century, wrote these words once. He said, countries like ours are full of people who have all the material comforts they desire, together with such non-material blessings as a happy family, and yet lead lives of quiet and, at times, noisy desperation, understanding nothing but the fact that there is a hole inside them. And however much food and drink they pour into it, however many motor cars and television sets they stuff in it, however many well-balanced children and loyal friends they parade around the edges of it, it aches. Aches. Hardship is the place where our salvation story begins. As we've rebelled from God, as we've spat in God's face, as we've said, no, I'm going to do it my own way, we live apart from God and there is a quiet and, as he says, sometimes noisy desperation in that place of hardship. Because we're longing for the one who made us. As St. Augustine famously said, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. We're hungering for God, but we don't even know it. It's a hard place, hardship. It's where the story always begins. It's where Ruth begins. It's where we begin. But then it moves to happenstance. Ruth is sovereignly led to the field of her Redeemer. Verse uh, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, probably the central verses in the whole book. Absolutely central, because you see God's hand moving. So Ruth set out, verse 3 says, and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she just so happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. I mean, that word happened. It just so happened. And she goes out, and of all the fields that she could end up, she just so happens to end up in Boaz's field. Just so happens. It's a great word in Greek. Um, it literally means she chanced upon her chance. It's like there was no burning bush. There was no divine word. She just found herself in that particular field, in that particular moment when Boaz shows up. And we find out that Boaz has a very important role for Ruth. In fact, Boaz is the exact person that she and Naomi need, and she doesn't even know it. Verse 20, when she returns after this day of gleaning with Boaz, she tells her mother-in-law, Ruth tells Naomi, the man who I worked with was named Boaz. And she says in verse 20, the man is, Naomi says, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Now, the word redeemer here is a very technical word in Hebrew. It's the word goel, goel, redeemer. It, it could be translated kinsman redeemer. It's a technical term for a person you're related to you, 
you're related to, whose job it is basically to protect and rescue you should you end up in real trouble. There was these people who would have assigned roles as goels, as redeemers to their kinsmen. And so if you ended up selling a piece of land and getting into big debt, the redeemer would come and buy back that land for you. If you had a blood debt, the redeemer might come and avenge the blood for you. If you didn't have something to bring to temple for sacrifice, your redeemer could actually give you something to take to the temple. And in this one case in the book of Ruth, we see that part of the Goel's role is to be willing to stand in the place of a dead relative as a husband, to be able to provide children and offspring for a dead relative's widow. So this role of redeemer, this is who Boaz is. And if you think it sounds kind of like, you know, that's kind of God's role, isn't it? Isn't he the redeemer? Absolutely. In fact, it's the same roots as the word redeemer in Scripture when it's used for God. When God is referred to as a redeemer, he is a Gael. Goel is a human redeemer. Gael is God as redeemer. And if you think they're, they're, they're linked together for a reason, they most certainly are. You see, these, these earthly redeemers were there to model something before the community, to really be standing in the place of God, to be the hands and feet of God, to do the work that God would want to do for his people. It would be done through a human agent, that Goel. And so Ruth ends up in the field. She just happens to, happenstance, call it coincidence, call it a God incident. The point is she ends up exactly where God wants her in Boaz's field. And, in, and just so you don't get all tied in a knot about sovereignty debates, Christians love to fight about this, you know. It's like if the, if the pastor puts out like a, a, a question box, like, okay, put any question you want in there, predestination goes in first. I'm like, come on, really? Really, we're going to go there? But this whole sovereignty debate that people have to, you know, cross swords over theologically, the reality is that the Bible affirms at the same time sovereignty, God's choosing, God's role in working together, his purposes in the world, but it also affirms that there is human responsibility. Somehow, mysteriously, God, you know, is totally sovereign, but we're also totally responsible for our decisions. And if you don't like that, well, welcome to the Bible. It says both. As Charles Spurgeon famously once said, he said, sovereignty and human responsibility do not need to be reconciled. They are not enemies, but friends. The two go hand in hand. The point here is that Ruth has been led to her redeemer. Call it happenstance, call it coincidence, call it God incidence. She's in the right place at the right time. And so it is with our salvation story. As a person is led to their redeemer, we see the same thing. When I look back on my life, I'm amazed at how the Lord, his hand was clearly there, moving me to the place where I'd finally meet my redeemer. I'd finally meet Jesus. And there was no lightning bolts, there was no burning bushes, but there was clearly, as I look back, these just small little moments that I say, wow, only God could have put all that together in such a way that I ended up right in that place at that time, ready to have my heart opened to my Redeemer. We find that the Lord leads his people. We go from a place of hardship 
apart from the Lord, and then through happenstance, through the Lord's miraculous sovereign leading, he leads his people through ordinary little moments right to the place where we need to be to meet our Redeemer. Jesus says, I did not choose, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed, that you, appointed you that you should abide and bear fruit that would abide. I, I still puzzle at how God put together those little moments of happenstance that led me to the Lord. But it happens. Hardship, happenstance. But then the salvation story goes further then to when we meet our Redeemer, Ruth finds incredible hospitality. Hardship, happenstance, hospitality. This woman is welcomed and protected and fed by her Redeemer. And it's more than she could even dream. Look at verse 8 of chapter 2. Verse 8, Boaz, the first word he speaks to Ruth. Now listen, my daughter. My daughter. I mean, talk about breaking down the barriers. This is a foreigner, right? He doesn't even know her, and yet the first word out of his mouth is, my daughter. I mean, that welcome, there's no greater way he could welcome her. You're my daughter. Who is this guy? But verse 8 goes on to say, not only does he welcome her, but then he protects her. He says, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? I mean, he's protecting her. You're under my protection, my daughter. I've told the young men to not touch you. It's the first anti-sexual harassment policy in recorded human history. I have told them to leave you alone. I mean, for a woman, a widow, alone, with no male offspring to support her, to go out into the field alone is total, total fear. Verse 22, Naomi, when Ruth comes back, says, um, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted, which I find amazingly, horrifically ironic um, that Naomi, after the fact, says, oh yeah, you, you, you could get assaulted in the field. Back in verse 2, Naomi said, yeah, go ahead, my daughter, go out in the fields. Really? You were okay with it back in verse 2? And, and now you're saying, yeah, it's probably a good thing you found a good man because he'll protect you. you. You'll probably get assaulted. I mean, what is wrong with Naomi here? But look at Boaz. He's offering her protection. Incredible protection. And then it goes on to feed her. Verse 9 says, drink from the vessels that the young men gather. So you don't have to even go find a water source. Just drink what they provide you. And then verse 14. Oh, I could preach five sermons on verse 14. Don't worry, I've got four minutes left. Um, at mealtime, verse 14 says, Boaz said to her, come here. Come here, which means that she prob probably appropriately had separated herself at the mealtime. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. You don't eat with them. You know, out of respect, she's, she's gone over there to eat. No, no, he says, come here. Sit with us. Sit with us. I mean, this welcome, come and eat with us. And then he goes on to say, um, eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her roasted grain. Now, two things are happening there. First of all, they're eating together, which is in itself amazing. As we've said so many times before, ancient Near Eastern table fellowship, to eat with someone is to say, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my kin, I'm for you, we're together in this. Come eat with us this foreigner, and, and, and share our bread 
you're one of us. And then he says, um, he passes her the roasted grain, it says, which interestingly, some commentators have said, he's actually, that's not part of the meal. He's taking out of his own special personal stash, the spices, the herbs, the good stuff. And he's saying, hey, have some of the good stuff. And he gives it to her with his own hand. I mean, he's literally not inviting her just into the meal, but he's giving her the best that he has. He goes on, uh, we, we find out in verse 14 that she eats and she's more than satisfied and there's some left over. I mean, this is the first meal she's had in what, weeks? And here she's satisfied and it's overflowing. Boaz has fed her. And then he goes on to continue to feed her because verse 15 and 16, he tells the workers, he says, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. The point is that Israel had these thing, this thing called gleaning laws that was for the sake of the foreigner, for the widow, for the orphan, that when you went through your fields at harvest time, you didn't go over them twice. If you missed anything or anything fell on the ground, you left it there for widows and orphans and foreigners. And so that's what Ruth is doing. She's following behind and picking up the scraps left over. Boaz says, let her glean right among the sheaves. Put her out in front first so she can pick right off. And I'll go further than that. As you're, you know, cutting the sheaves, throw some on the ground behind you. And so when she comes by, she finds fully cut sheaves ready to go. I mean, Boaz is providing for her more than she could even imagine. And what happens when they get to verse 17, we find out how much she got. So she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. That's 22 liters. That's a month's food in one day. She was starving. She eats more than she could imagine at lunch. She's got a leftover takeout basket to take home with her, and she's got a month's worth of grain. This is what her Redeemer has provided for her. He has welcomed her, he's protected her, and he's fed her more than she could imagine. But why? She's a foreigner. She has no right to be here. She doesn't belong here. Moab has been emphasized in this text already, in this one chapter, seven times. The writer is saying, don't forget she's from Moab. She's a foreigner. She's got no rights here. Why does Boaz do this? She says in verse 10, why do you do this? And he tells her, because you've come to seek refuge under the wings of the Lord. That's what verse 12 says. In other words, you have come asking for help. You've come as a widow in need. And guess what? When you come to the Lord in need, he welcomes you. Have you earned it? No. I mean, he says some nice things about things she's done, but it's not about you've earned this. No, you're a foreigner. You haven't earned anything. You've come to the Lord asking for help. And guess what the Lord does? When you ask for help, he gives it to you. That under the shelter of the wings image, Psalm 36, it's a, it's a mother bird with baby chicks. You come to the Lord in need and guess what he does? He wraps his arms around you, his wings around you, and protects you and says, I am for you. I will provide and protect for you. This is what Boaz does. Why? Because Boaz knows the Lord. Boaz knows the heart of the Lord. And as a human redeemer, standing in the place of Yahweh, the true redeemer, he's acting out the same way that the Lord would act towards his people. You're in need? Then let me provide. Let me welcome you. Let me show you hospitality that you can't even imagine. 
And so it is with us. When we come from hardship and then we come to that place of happenstance where we meet the Lord, then suddenly the Lord's goodness is on display for us. We're shown hospitality from Jesus. We're shown a welcome from our Redeemer more than we could ever imagine. We come to him. What does Matthew 11 say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you a long list of things to do to earn my love. No. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. By what basis does the Lord give us his care? By what basis does the Lord show us this incredible hospitality? Because we come and we ask. That's grace. That is the gospel. I remember we had a girl in our parish a number of years ago. She was a Scandinavian PhD student, and she really struggled with the gospel. She, like, she didn't, she was not a believer, and she did not like what I was preaching on Sunday morning. Um, and uh, she just said, this is offensive, and I don't like this. And she, I said, do you want to go for coffee? And she said, okay. And so we went for coffee multiple times, and she got involved in our young adults program, and she kept coming. And, and I mean, every one of our conversations, like, you know, it was like aggressive, angry, offensive um, I learned new words. I learned how to swear in Scandinavian. Um, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. It was, it was Finnish. And, and she, I finally said to her one day after many of these coffees where she's so struggling with the gospel, I said, I said, I love doing this, but why are you still coming? You really, really struggle with this. You're really, you know, you're not there. Why do you keep coming? I'm just curious. I keep coming, but why? And she said, oh, I'm welcome here. She said, I, I, I'm welcome here. I know I'm welcome here. You guys are just, you put up with, she said, I, I, I'm rude. I, I'm in your face. I throw all kinds of stuff at you and you still welcome me. You, you, I know I'm welcome, so I keep coming. I mean, what a picture of hospitality. She knew she was welcomed. Now for Ruth, a response is required and that's coming next week. It's an amazing story next week. But how does this text train us? Well, here as I close, it, it, here's how it trains us. You see, Boaz, like I said, is a human redeemer. He's standing there in the place of the Lord. He's doing he, what the Lord would do. He's being the hands and feet of the Lord. And, and so it is with us. That when we come and meet our redeemer, we're going to meet real flesh and blood believers who are meant to be human redeemers for us. People who will reflect the character and nature of God before us. I thank God for the Boazes in my life when I finally, by happenstance, came to that place. I mean, people who modeled the love of Jesus, who acted, who showed that kind of hospitality, Boaz is in my life. But guess what, friends? You and I now, if we are in Christ, we are called to be Boaz to the Ruths that are being placed in front of us. What Ruths are this day, this week, male or female Ruths, who are being placed out of hardship, by happenstance are brought right into your life right now and you are the Boaz. You are the one that will stand there and model for them the hospitality of the Lord. You will show them what it means to welcome them. You will show them the character of God through the way you live. You will understand St. Francis' prayer, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Who in your life is the Lord bringing to salvation, and you are the Boaz he has appointed. We are a church. We're ordinary people 
are found and formed by the gospel to reach the world for Jesus Christ. What is my role? What is your role in reaching the world for Jesus? We see part of it here. Our role is to reflect the hospitality that the Lord has shown to us. To reflect the hospitality that the Lord has shown to us. To be Boaz to the Ruths that the Lord is placing in your life. That's my role. That's your role. That is Christ's church's role to lead the world to Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.